never seen them. Matthew leaned in to try to hear what the popular teacher was trying to say. A group of men interrupted Jesus mid-sentence and brought a paralyzed man right to his feet. Instead of being annoyed, Jesus immediately looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Matthew was so shocked by the simple words that he instinctively laughed out loud, too loud. A number of people looked over at him with irritated glances. Jesus also looked over at Matthew, slumped down in his chair. Then Jesus turned back to the man and said, just to show you that I can forgive sin, get up and walk. At once, the man jumped up and the whole crowd stood in amazement. Matthew was shocked. Then Matthew looked up and Jesus was walking directly toward his table. It seemed like, teach, like the teacher was looking right at him. Matthew glanced over his shoulder to see who else Jesus might be looking at. <laughs> there was nobody there. Jesus stopped at the table and leaned in and whispered to Matthew, Follow me. Matthew knew hardly anything about him. What he did, where he was going, where he came from, or why he was here. Nevertheless, Matthew, he immediately stood up and left his life of tax collecting behind. Somewhere deep down inside, this decision would change his whole life. of Matthew. It's all of our story. Today we're going to be looking at uh, starting our series on missions, and we're gearing up for our missions weekend, as I said a few, weeks, uh, a few moments ago, coming up at the first part of March. I, I just want to say at the very beginning here that we were all made for mission. But what mission were we made for? What mission is that? We all have our own idea of what that mission would be. But I think that it would behoove us to see what God's idea for mission is all about. What are his plans and purposes for our life? What mission have we been made to accomplish? I believe God's going to use this series to transform each of us. Now, you probably noticed this box right here, and it has the word mission on it. And a lot of times when we treat, we treat missions in, in, in several different ways, I think. As we were listening to Dan just a few moments ago, we were talking about, the, he was talking about the missionaries and the different people that are out there. And, and I think many of us look at that and say, well, good for them. I think that's great, but that's not for me. And what we end up doing as a result of that is we end up kind of ignoring missions. We act like that it's not even there. We walk right by it as if it doesn't even exist. Well, all the while... It's sitting right there in front of us, but we just walk around it and act like it's just not even there. A lot of us, too, maybe, uh, maybe we don't ignore it, but maybe we actually avoid it, where we actually see it, and we go, oh, I've got to step around that thing. That's pretty treacherous right there. I'm not sure I want to take care of that. That mission's right there. Yeah, no, I think not. We avoid it. Some of us actually are looking at the opportunity for missions, and we actually kind of consider it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I might just maybe. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Missions. I'm going to consider possibly something about missions. So we can either ignore it, act like it's not there, we can avoid it and walk around it at all costs, or we can consider it by putting our attention to it somewhat, but this, none of those three are what God's calling us to do. He actually is calling us to live on missions that we would have as our viewpoint and lifestyle and the way that we think, the way that we look at things every day of our lives, that missions is what we 
create, it's what we were created to do. It's a foundation upon which we walk out our lives. So we're not going to ignore it anymore. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to even going to consider it. I hope that by the end of our time, not just today, but over the next several weeks, that we will all realize that we need to live on missions. Can I get down off the box for a second? Thank you. I want you to picture me being on that box though, okay? So, what we need to understand is that God is already on this mission. God is already doing it every day. We see the need that's out there with these multiple people groups that are unreached. He's simply inviting you and me to join in with him in this ongoing activity of souls for the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to write down this question if you're taking notes today. What's my purpose? If you're taking notes today, I hope that you are because you're going to... In fact, I'm going to give you guys a few moments to pull out some paper and a pen, and I'm going to give you just some opportunity here to just break it out. You're going to remember a whole lot more if you write it down. That's the least that you can do. I worked hard to put this together, so you just take a few moments and take a few, uh, write some stuff down, okay? So I can wait. I got a few moments. It took me a long time to put this together. I got a couple of seconds. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Ask that question to yourself right now. Say, what's my purpose? Now, I, I'm kind of reminded with that question right there, if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, Mama, what's my purpose? She was on her deathbed, remember that scene? You watch the movie, Mama, what's my purpose? Oh, Forrest, she says, life is just like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. And then she died. And his life went on. It's an interesting movie. We are all seeking purpose in our lives. Everybody needs a purpose. And by the way, this is just bigger than a missions thing or a Christian thing. Because, in fact, there's people that are going to, that would, if you, you probably know some people that are going to work for a lot less money if they really believe in what they're doing. Wealth does not always equate to happiness. People also want their life to be about something good and meaningful that really counts for something. So if you were to ask anybody, anybody that you know, anybody here today, what they truly desired, I would say that they would probably say that they want to live a meaningful life. They, they want to know that their life counted for something that's beyond themselves. And, and that they've made a, a lasting difference that goes beyond their life once they're gone, that they've made a difference. And by the way, this is not only possible, but this is entirely doable. In fact, it's not doable, but God is actually calling us to do this as we understand what God's word says about our purpose in life. Church, we were made for a mission. You were made for for a mission. God created you and me for a mission. And over the next several weeks, we're going to spend some time figuring out what that mission is and what our mission is because life is not like a box of chocolates. It's not a random thing. Life is not a luck of the draw. Uh, life is not across your fingers and hope it all works out. Church, we have a real purpose. We have real direction. And we have real intentional living with a goal in mind. That's what God is calling us to. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, if you will. Or your tablets or your phones or whatever it is that you use your Bible. Hope you can bring your Bible. Learn where Matthew is in the Bible, right? Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at this story. And by the way, Jonah, thank you for that monologue. Appreciate you doing that. Yeah. You heard the story that Joannette shared, the story of Matthew and his encounter with Jesus, where Jesus called Matthew out of what he was doing into the life that Christ had destined him to live. And I believe this passage has incredible significance in Matthew chapter 9 for our lives today, and it's going to help us to answer what's my purpose in life. Let's look at, look at Matthew 9, 9. We're going to cover several verses here backwards and forwards, but let's start at Matthew 9, 9. And it says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he simply made the invitation. It wasn't a command, it was an invitation. Follow me. 
follow me, Jesus said. And Matthew got up and followed him. I mean, it's just that simple. Now, Matthew is the author of this book, so he knows what was going on. So here we have the God of the universe approaching the likes of Matthew, a tax collector, which we just heard that that's the lower of the low. That's, that's the lesser of the less. It, it's the bottom of the, of the rung. Tax collectors were seen in that culture as the worst of the worst. Tax collectors were Jews who sold out their own people in order to become wealthy. People hated them. If we could go back in time and freeze this scene and then pick up of the hundreds of people that were there witnessing this miracle that Jesus did, who would have been the last person Jesus would have picked to train up and send out to change the world? It would have been Matthew. Here's why this is important today. Because if Matthew is called the worst of the worst, the least of the least, the most reviled and rejected, if Matthew is called, then this means that we are all called. If Matthew could be selected, all of us qualify. Maybe you feel like the last person that Jesus would call. If so, you're in good company. There's a pastor and author by the name of J.D. Greer that said this. There's a widespread myth in the church that calling into ministry is a secondary experience that happens only to a few Christians. Their job is to do the ministry and everybody else is just to show up and foot the bill. Few lies cripple the mission more than that one. Each believer is called to leverage his or her life for the spread of the gospel. So then the question no longer is whether we are called, but only where and how we are called. You know, the undeniable and unavoidable fact is that you are called by God. He has chosen you to be an active part of his mission. I want everyone to say out loud right now together, I am called. That's right. Now, since therefore you are called, you need to start asking some big questions. Those in the business world, if you're still working, making a living, why did God make you good at business? Why did God place you where you are right now? Surely not just to fill up your life with comfort so that you can spend the last 20 years of your life on vacation. He gave you a talent to bless others. He gave you a talent to make a difference where you are. If you're a stay-at-home mom, today ask yourself this question. What role do I play in the advancement of the mission as I raise my kids? If you're retired, if you're doing other things, if you're a student at school, if you're whatever it is that you, whatever it is that you do, the same question applies to you today. No matter what station, no matter what age or stage of life that you are, no matter your background, no matter your talents, no matter what, you ask this question, what's my purpose, where I am, with what I have in front of me? What is my unique purpose in life? Now, God might not have you as a vocational pastor full-time like I'm doing, but he puts you in the front lines for mission nonetheless. By the, word, by the way, the word vocation has, comes from this Latin word called voca, V-O-C-A, voca, which means to call. So we've all been given a calling, a vocation. What if you started seeing your job? What if you started seeing your, where you are in life as a student or as a, as a retired person or, or as a, in anything in life that you're doing? What if you started seeing that place that God has you, where you are in life right now, as an actual calling from God, because you are made for a mission. Tomorrow morning, I want you to try something when you wake up. You can either get up expecting nothing that God might have in store for you. You can take a shower, get ready, get dressed, help the kids get ready for school. You go to work, you go to school, whatever it is you got going. And then you come on home and you end your day like the rest of the world with zero expectation and then therefore getting nothing in return. Expect nothing, getting nothing in return. Or, or, try it this way. You get up tomorrow morning and you live your life like you were made for a mission. Imagine waking up instead anticipating what God has in store for you. Instead of saying, good Lord, it's morning, say, good morning, Lord. And say, what do you have in store for me today? What assignment, what mission do you have for me today? 
First, you prepare yourself by prayer. You read, some, you read God's word. You take, a, you take some time and spend with him. Then you prepare your kids to live on mission too. You speak into their lives before they go off to school or whatever, whoever it is that's in your home. Lastly, you go to work or you take care of going to school. You take care of the assignments that you have. Throughout your day, with your eyes spiritually wide open, and looking for opportunities to join God in his mission. I want you to look at Jesus' invitation to Matthew. He doesn't say, get in line. He doesn't say, do what I do. He simply just says, follow me. You know, Jesus invites Matthew first and foremost into a relationship with him. Matthew didn't know him. He knew of him. But boy, he started to get to know him as he got in close proximity to him. Their relationship was not a byproduct of them doing ministry together. Matthew didn't do ministry and then started hanging out with Jesus. Matthew hung out with Jesus and then started doing ministry. Their relationship was the assignment and the ministry came from spending time together. The Christian life, by the way, is not about doing stuff for Jesus. The Christian life is about being with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, the assignment rolls out naturally from his calling. You know, from Matthew's point of view, he obviously was shocked by Jesus approaching him, but it's also remarkable how Matthew just gets up immediately and follows. I just find that so interesting. He didn't just pull back and say, I got to take care of some stuff. He left it flat and said, I'm going on with you. So why drop everything? Matthew had a good job. In fact, if you know anything about that culture, 90% of Israel was living underneath the poverty line at this point. Matthew was the exception in that case. He was making a fine living. And he seemingly didn't have to work too hard because the Bible describes he was just sitting there. He was just sitting there and the money was coming to him. He's collecting it. On top of that, Jesus' invitation was a bit vague. Uh, Jesus just said, follow me. Matthew doesn't ask, well, where are we going? What are we going to do? Jesus just said, follow me, and Matthew said, okay. Now, here's a little clue as to, I think, why Matthew just said, okay. Because if you look at the first words in verse 9, it says, as he was going from there. Now, this was written by Matthew himself, and those words are hugely significant. So whatever just happened, Matthew just saw it. What did he just see? Let's read it because we heard it in the monologue. He just saw Jesus paralyzed. Uh, he, just, he just saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man. Matthew 9, verses 1 through 7. If you'll go to that, let's read along. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to, the, to, his, home ta- to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said, therefore, to this paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And then the, mat got up and, uh, and then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Who was in that crowd? Matthew. Matthew was in that crowd. He saw everything that I just described to you. He was at his tax booth, and he watched it. He was close enough in proximity. He wrote all that stuff down. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, I can't believe. Really? Wow. His life was changed. He went from just the monotone, regular drudgery of collecting taxes, being rejected in the least of the least, to having an invitation by the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords to say, why don't you come and follow me? That's why Matthew could leave at that moment and leave it all behind instantly without giving another thought and say, I want to see that happen in my life. Even more importantly, I think another thing that was going on in Matthew's life that Matthew saw this miraculous healing take place. And Matthew saw Jesus forgiving this man of his sins. And I just wonder, I just wonder, I wonder, and I'm guessing that Matthew was thinking, could Jesus possibly forgive my shame? If he can do that for that man, can he do that for me? I hope so. Oh, I want that. How many of you, by the way, know people like that? Can Jesus forgive me of my shame? How many knows people like that? Can Jesus forgive me of, me of my shortcomings, of my faults, of my failures? Can Jesus, can Jesus, if Jesus did that for you, 
Can you do that for me? I mean, people know you. Sinners know you. People, I'm going to call them pre-Christians. Pre-Christians know you. They know that you're a believer. They know you've been forgiven. Maybe some of them know your lifestyle before you got saved. And how many can testify that God redeems to the uttermost, amen? But see, people are looking at your life saying, wait a minute, there's a difference in you. And maybe they're walking away. Maybe they're thinking to themselves some way. If they did that for him, if Jesus did that for her, if Jesus did that for those people that I know, I wonder if he can do that for me. Spoiler alert, the answer is yes, he can. Yes, he can. So I want you to replay this scene for just a moment. Matthew is just sitting there. He's just sitting down on a stool. Let's just make this the stool for a second. He's just sitting here collecting taxes. Thank you. Next. Whatever. Boring. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He's the guy that just raised this guy. And he's looking at me. He's coming right at me. And here comes Jesus. Here he comes. Jesus is walking up to him saying, how you doing? Why don't you follow me? Well, here's Matthew just sitting there. Let me ask you this. What would Matthew have had to do to follow him? Not this. Okay, I'll be right there. Hold on, Jesus. I'll be right with you. Wait a minute. You're walking too fast. I can't keep up. You said to follow you. I'm trying to. No. He had to get up and he had to separate himself from that. But how often do we do that? All right, Jesus, I'll follow you. Got a lot of stuff going. If you just kind of hang out with me, just be patient. You're moving too fast, Jesus. You're asking too much, Jesus. He says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Come follow me. You will be surprised. It's going to blow your mind as to what I have in store for you. If you'll just stop avoiding it, stop ignoring it, don't even consider it. Just stand on it and say, I will follow you. I will do my part. I will leave the things that are holding me back and I'll move forward with you as you guide me and have relationship with you. And out of that relationship, I will discover my purpose and my mission in life. The moment that Matthew took that step away from his tax booth was the moment that he stepped on his mission. He stepped out, uh, in, in, he stepped out to, in, in obedience to Jesus Christ. But that step was a step of faith. Faith is required. By the way, I think there's a little bit of a, there's a little football game going on tonight. I don't know if you've heard about it. Super Bowl. Now, what if these people, these guys, what if, what if they, you know, if you're playing for the Super Bowl, you need to, more, you need to, you need to do more than just show up to the stadium. Well, we're here. Imagine the opposing teams all coming in and just staying in their locker rooms. Flying in, doing all this stuff, and they're hanging out in the locker room. Oh, we're in the Super Bowl. Isn't it great? Yeah, you're in your locker room. What are you going to do about it? Or maybe they just all come out on the field, and they're just sitting on the benches. Empty old field, but the benches are full. Crowds cheering for nothing because the players don't get out on the field. You know, they have... Don't you think that these people not only need to suit up, these players need to also warm up. By the way, I should have warmed up for that because that was exhausting. But then they also have to get out and play the game, don't they? Now, that takes work. It's a lot easier to sit in the, in the locker room. It's a lot easier to just sit on the bench, and drink that water, you know, let the fan blow on you, whatever they got going, the towels, all that cool stuff, massaging, you know. This is great. It takes work. It, it, maybe there's some setbacks I mean, certainly there's an opposing team that's going to be pushing against you, trying to get the ball, tackle you, stop you. Maybe some injuries. I mean, there's some bumps and bruises. But I guarantee you that both of those teams are in it to win it. But they've got to get up and they've got to get moving. 
to do it. So what about you? Is God calling you to get off the sidelines and to get in the game of being made for a mission? If so, by the way, the answer is yes to that. It will require you to consciously get up from your tax booth to get up even if it may feel uncomfortable, to get up even if you're a little afraid, to get up even if you know it'll take work, to get up even if you know it'll take sacrifice and opposition, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it to give your life for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no better way to spend your life and to invest your passions except for the eternal things of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We have a race to run. We have a battle to fight. And we have a war to win for souls, for the kingdom of God. So how do we live on mission? There's three things in this passage that I want to point out to you. There's three things that I think that God wants to transform us because we've got to be a different person than where we are right now, some of us. We need to be transformed because this ain't working. What we're doing up to this point, we are not walking out our mission. So we need to be transformed. We need to change. Change is good. Here's the first thing that God wants to transform. He wants to transform us and how we use our resources. Look at Matthew 9, 10. Now, this is after Jesus said, follow me. And we see kind of a little fast forward sort of thing. Maybe it happened right away, but he had to have a little time to prepare. But Matthew invited Jesus to his house for dinner. And it says here in Matthew 9, 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, and it wasn't just Matthew, by the way, because it says many tax collectors, so all of Matthew's buddies that were the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst were there along with him, and sinners, which in this case, the sinners were a little bit higher than the tax collectors, right? But nonetheless, they're all a bunch of rejected lowlifes who the, who the society could care less about. And, and here's Jesus showing up, eating with all these sinners and tax collectors, And the disciples, at least the ones that Jesus had chosen up to that point, were also with them at this this dinner. So Matthew, Matthew used his resources. God has blessed, had blessed Matthew up to that point uh, with lots of money. Maybe not real popular, but he had a lot of money. He was living in a nice place. He had a lot of good stuff. And I think that God wants to take this transformation of our resources so that we can, and this is what Matthew did. Matthew had friends, coworkers, acquaintances, whatever it is that he had, he was inviting them. And here's what I want you to understand. God has blessed us with things that can be used for, for his mission. I just, we just came out of a stewardship series back last month in January. And Matthew, in this case, specifically, let's talk about Matthew. Matthew used his house and Matthew used his food to live on mission. Matthew used his house and food. He, he said, guys, come on over to my house. Come on over and let's eat. And how many loves to eat? Sure. I mean, that's one of the, I, I, that's one of the, I think one of the top 10 commandments is thou shalt eat at church. I mean, I, is that not there? Because we do it all the time, right? We love to eat. So, but Matthew said, come on. I got a nice house, got some nice digs, got some good food. Come on over. There's this guy named Jesus I want you to meet. We should look at our resources in the same way. As I said a few weeks ago, I'll just emphasize this again. If we look at our finances, our possessions, our time, our abilities differently, in other words, if we, look, if we steward them differently, and we look at how can we can use them for God's eternal purposes. They've been placed in our care, not so that we can squander them or use them selfishly, but that we can take them and invest them back into the kingdom. That's why we have what we have. Whether it be money, material resources of whatever kind, houses, cars, you name it, or our abilities or our time. We have all been given stewardship and responsibilities to do something with it. I'll give you some examples here. And I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I don't want to tell you what kind of examples over the years that I've seen here at this church 
And some have just happened recently and some have happened years ago. But I just want to say what a wonderful church that we have, by the way, the wonderful people here. There have been some people at our church that donated a car to another family that needed it. We don't need this anymore. It's an extra car. Here's the keys. And that's happened several times, by the way, at this church over the years. I've, I've witnessed it. You know who I'm talking about, those that uh, have done it. Some of you are here today. And by the way, just kind of as a full circle thing, one of the cars that was donated to the person also years ago donated the car to someone else here. Just another car, a totally different thing. So the Lord said, okay, you did that. Now watch this. Let me just show you how that works. I just love that. And I love being, I love being around long enough to see kind of how God does things, you know, and watch kind of the arc of things. So cars, people donating cars. Uh, I also know a couple who um, has in their, uh, on their, at their house, on their acreage, uh, an apartment above their garage. And they've had it for decades. And they've used it time and time again for missionaries, pastors, other people that were in need. Come and stay for a month. Come and stay for a weekend. Study. Find some time to fast and pray. Just get alone. Whatever it is that we can do, they opened up free of charge for people that need it. I also know people who have done the same with places to stay. Maybe you got kicked out. Maybe you're in between places. Maybe you're struggling in some way. I know people here at the church that have opened up their home to stay the night or stay the week. I got an extra room, got an extra bathroom. You're welcome to it. It's just a resource, right? You got an extra bedroom. It's not being used. Now it can be. You got a car that's sitting there collecting dust. Turn over the keys. I know there's some people here at our church that donate food for the homeless, that donate food for these outreaches that we have, the different things. Thank you for that. That's simply taking not only the resources of your money, you go out and buy the food, then you come and either you or somebody else and other people do prepare the food so you're using your abilities of being able to cook well so that it has a nice flavor to it, it's tasty, and then you use your resource of your car to take it to the, to the homeless shelter. Then you use your resource of your time and your heart for the Lord to just lovingly serve. And then you use your resources to preach the gospel to them. I mean, there's a lot of things going on with that. And we're all doing that. I know there's people here that do visitation to some of the shut-ins and people at the hospital. And thank you for doing that because that shouldn't be all on me. And it's not because everybody does it. A lot of people here say... I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to go to the nursing home. I'm going to spend some time with them. Thank you for that. You're using your resources. You're giving of your time and talent and treasure. People are faithful, by the way, and also giving to missions as they share the gospel worldwide. And as we lead up to our March 3rd uh, time of renewing our pledges and also maybe you've never pledged and maybe this would be the year that you can do it. And all of us pooling our resources together are able to support 38 or so missionaries from this church. 38 missionaries that we partner with just from this church worldwide because everybody is given 5, 10, 20, 50, or 100, whatever they're able to do. And we pull our resources together and we're making a difference to these places that are represented here. Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, whatever it is, if I'm giving a bedroom, if I'm giving a car, if I'm giving them my talent, if I'm making food or buying food, whatever it is that I do, if I'm doing visitation, whatever it is, I'm doing it all not with my name attached to it, but all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're representing him well when you do that. The time, talent, and treasure that you have are resources that God has placed in your care, church, individually, for God's glory and for God's purposes. And when you live on mission, you'll begin to see how you can reapportion them from the things that won't last, the things of your temporary kingdom and my temporary kingdom, for the things that are eternal, the things that will last, the things that are souls for the kingdom of God. You'll go from sitting on them or squandering them to getting up off of your stool and doing something of lasting value with them. That's what Matthew did. Here's the second thing that he did. 
that God wants to transform us in, and that's this. God wants to transform how you see your relationships. Think about your relationships that you have, coworkers, classmates, family members, neighbors, people that you see on occasion. I'm sure Matthew had many meals with those tax collector buddies before. That wasn't the first time that he had a meal with them, but this time was different. This time was the first time that he had a meal with his tax collector buddies and Jesus was there. How do you think Matthew introduced his friends to Jesus? I don't know, maybe, hey, my sins were forgiven today and my shame is gone and you could have that same thing happen to you too. I mean, what do you think that the conversations looked like there in that gathering? It wasn't just that they were eating. Hey, this is good food. They were talking about some serious things. Food just was the, the vehicle to get them there. Maybe... Matthew, I don't know what Matthew had some hope would happen. I don't know. But Matthew was faced with the reality that he was probably the best chance that his friends would ever have in meeting Jesus, and he refused to waste the opportunity. Jesus is in town. I've got a house. I've got some food. My buddies need to know and experience what just happened to me. I'm going to make this happen. You see, when you join God in his mission, you begin to realize that none of your friendships or even your acquaintances are coincidental. There's no box of chocolates here. God has placed each of these people in your life for the purpose of sharing Jesus. That's it. It's not what you can get out of them. It's what you want them to have in their lives from Christ. Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11 speaks to this. God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, which is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From the far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. That sounds pretty comprehensive to me. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the relationships that are going to line up with your life and you're going to intersect with. He already has a plan for them for you to speak into their lives, to make a difference. You see, God is in charge of everything. All that's going on in the world today, all that's going on in our nation today, everything, all this stuff that we can get stressed out about, did you realize that God's still in control? Can I just say that God's still in control of everything and God has a plan? So we think about the big picture and we, get, we wring our hands and we worry. Rest that God has got it all under control and focus instead your energies on what I can do to walk out the mission that God has for me to do with that person in front of me right now. And I'm going to let God take care of the big stuff, right? It's beyond my pay grade. I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm going to trust him with it, but I'm going to focus on this person right here. And God's plans are going to be accomplished no matter what. So wouldn't it be wiser to step in line with God's plan rather than resist it or go your own way, rather to avoid it or even consider it. Don't neglect it. Don't excuse it away. Let's get in line with what God has for us. Your friendships, your casual acquaintances, even chance encounters with total strangers are not a surprise to God. He's directing your steps and he's directing their steps and introducing those relationships you Uh, to you and 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 also he desires you to see differently through his eyes his plans for your relationship and your encounters with people at some point church all of us has someone uh, aren't you thankful that at some point someone has told you about jesus aren't you thankful for that Think about it. Who's that person that led you to Christ? Who is that person that introduced you to Jesus? Maybe they planted, maybe they watered. All of it makes a difference. One day you made a decision for Jesus. Aren't you thankful that they got in line with what God's plan was for their life and yours? And when that time intersected, the moment was right. And they were obedient. And they said, let me tell you about somebody, a man that changed my life. And he can do the same for you. You see, God is preparing the soil of their hearts to receive the gospel. Already, people that you don't even know and people that you do. He's brought them into your life to plant and to water the good news. When you do, the Bible says that God brings the increase. But listen to this. A seed cannot grow that's not been planted. We're not responsible for people's responses. We're responsible to obey God's call to tell others. 
Never mind the results. We leave that to God, which brings us to our third way that God transforms us, which I think is a big deal because many of us, I think, this is what stops us. The third thing that God needs to transform us is that he's going to transform how we respond to ridicule. How you respond to ridicule. God wants to transform you. Matthew 9, 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, so remember, here's Matthew, tax collectors, sinners, Jesus, disciples, all eating together in Matthew's home. And so it says, when the Pharisees saw this, so they watched it, they observed it. They turned around, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees were obviously blown away and they were offended by what they saw. I can just picture them kind of looking maybe through the windows or maybe looking through the door. Some way, somehow, they weren't going to go in, but they were going to watch from afar because we're not going to connect ourselves with all that riffraff in there. But we're going to stand here in judgment and we're going to observe some things and then we're going to say what we think. I can just picture them looking and expressing this condescending sort of holier-than-thou judgments. Now, by the way, the Pharisees, if you don't know anything about them, they were the rule keepers, the religious rule keepers of their day. But also in their culture, if you know anything about the Pharisees and what was going on back then, they were also kind of like the cool kids at school. You remember those guys? Remember those in high school, and junior high school, the cool kids? Now, maybe you were one of those cool kids. God bless you. I wasn't. But boy, if you could get in with the cool kids, huh? Cheerleaders, football players, the whoever's, you know, the good-looking ones, the popular ones, however, however they did that. I don't even understand how that works. It still blows me away. Who, who made you popular? Who assigned you to be the one in, to, to, to look up? It's just weird, isn't it? But anyway, and, and young people, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to school right now. Who are the, who are the popular people? You're watching this and doing a, 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 a discussion on it. How, how do people get popular? They just do. Some way, somehow, they make it. And the idea was that everyone wanted to be like them. Everyone wanted to hang around them. And if you were able to hang around them, they were big time status boosters Boosters, if you got in that click. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you probably say, oh, I would never do that. Yes, you did. If you didn't do it, you thought it. I know you did. Tax collectors, like Matthew, knew that they were at the bottom of the totem pole in their community. But it still didn't change the fact that they wanted to be in good standing with the popular Pharisees. But one afternoon of following Jesus, and it all changed. From what we read, it appears that not only Matthew, but many of the other tax collectors along with the other sinners were having a grand old time with Jesus. There was no judging. There was no condemnation. There was just a loving Savior who said, leave this old stuff that's killing you behind and follow me. Now the tax collectors didn't care about the approval of the Pharisees because they were too busy celebrating their new life with Jesus. We may not be dealing with hyper-religious Pharisees today. Today's opposition is clothed a little bit differently, but it's still opposition nonetheless. But that's okay. Church, listen to me this morning. We shouldn't care about their approval or their favor. We should live our lives only for God's approval and God's favor. The accolades of man are fleeting. God's applause is eternal. Church, you and I were not made to fit in. We were made to stand out. Who cares what other people think? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love the word peculiar. It means strange. It means weird. It means odd. It means different. That's what we were called to be. Now, some of you are taking that a little over the top in ways that I don't think the scripture intended. But that's all right. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Even some of the ones that are kind of like, you know, the ones you kind of don't want to hang around. You don't mind having them for Christmas, but you don't want to you know, go on vacation with them. You know what I'm saying? Just that. Love you. We just, we all have our thing, you know. 
But we're all peculiar. We all are in that category of, you're strange. You believe in Jesus? You did what? You think he died for you? You think he's coming back? You think he's your healer? All these sort of things. You're weird. And it's getting more pronounced, is it not? But I'll tell you what, I'd rather be strange for Jesus than normal in the world. I'd rather be set apart and unusual for Christ than to go with the flow and fall over a cliff as a result. We need to be awed by the world's standards. We need to be strange and different, but in a good way. We walk in love and forgiveness towards others when others would hate and hold a grudge. That's peculiar, is it not? But that's what we do. We walk in love and forgiveness. We turn the other cheek when others would retaliate. That's peculiar, but that's what Jesus calls us to do. We don't respond insult with insult, but with kindness and graciousness. That's peculiar, but that's what Jesus would do. We give expecting nothing in return. That's odd, but that's what Jesus calls us to do. We serve not looking for the praise of man. We think the best in people. We live a life of faith and we walk in the authority of Jesus that heals the sick and binds and defeats Satan and even raises the dead back to life. That's a peculiar people and that's the kind of people that you and I should be. It's a peculiar people set apart for God's purposes and for God's glory. It's a representation of Jesus to those walking in darkness and bondage and despair. A people pointing others to the hope that they also can have in Jesus Christ. When you're on a mission, you're not living for the approval of man, but you're living for the approval of God. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? It's a pointed question. It's exactly what we're talking about today. Or am I trying to please people? You'll never be able to please people. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, there's a line of delineation there. You're either going to try to serve Christ and please him or try to serve man and please them. I promise you that if you try to serve man and please them, you will fail miserably. But if you serve Christ and try to please him, you will always succeed. It's a no-brainer. You know, Jesus faced all kind of ridicule. You read the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, what? He didn't just coast through his ministry. He was resisted and he was ridiculed all the time. So wouldn't you expect that if you're following him, that you'd also experience some persecution too? I just can't stand the rejection. Well, deal with it. Jesus can help you with that. Oh, I don't want people to know I'm a Jesus person. They'll call me a Jesus freak. If I believe in Jesus, I, I, deal with it. It's okay. I'd rather serve the opinion of, uh, uh, and, and the praise of, uh, and look for the praise of God than serve the opinion of man or worry about them. I'm a peculiar person, and I'm proud of it because I'm peculiar for Jesus Christ. How about you? Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 says, Blessed are those who, persecuted you because, who are persecuting you because of righteousness. In other words, blessed are you that are being persecuted because you're living for Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, well done, good job, thank you for representing me well. Enter in. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when you're falsely, when they say all kinds of things that are evil against you because of me. You're in good company. Jesus experienced it all throughout the history of the church. People have experienced it. It's our turn, but that's okay because I'm still going to represent Christ no matter what you say. No matter what you think about me, I'm going to stand up for Jesus. How about you today? Amen. Now, for Matthew, maybe some of his tax collector friends had no interest in Jesus. Maybe that stung a little. I don't know. But imagine if one or two or several of his friends stayed after the party. I think they might have. What if they were told Matthew? What if they told Matthew that they wanted a relationship with Jesus too? How awesome would that have been? I think I want what you have, Matthew. I like what I'm... Jesus loves me unconditionally. He's not judging me. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I want that. It all started with Matthew saying, I got some food. I got a place to hang out, a dining table. I think we can do this. Jesus is in town. I'm doing this. If he hadn't have done that, they wouldn't have had an opportunity to hear about him, meet with him, and receive him. And here's another point. What if Matthew second-guessed himself into not having that dinner party? No one will come. 
nobody likes me anyway. I'm the least of the least. It's not going to turn out like I'm thinking in my head. It's going to be a flop. I'll be a laughing stock. Oh, no. Forget it. I'm just not going to do it. He didn't do that. But how often do we do that? That that the Lord has placed on our heart to do, we talk ourselves out of it for all kinds of different reasons. And Satan wins. Let's not let him win. I'm so thankful that Matthew overcame all of those hurdles. He threw that party and some good came out of it. What party can you throw? What is it that God's called you to do? Overcome those hurdles. Ignore them. Push them aside and say, I will stay focused on my mission of telling others about Jesus. I want you to check out how this passage ends as Jesus turns to these small-minded Pharisees and responded to their condescending remarks. Matthew 9, 12 says, on hearing this, Jesus turned to them, I'm sure through the windows and the doors, hey guys, food's great, fellowship's good, you're on the outside looking in, I know what you're saying, I actually overheard you, let me tell you what I'm thinking about this. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. See, Matthew wanted to have happen for his friends what happened to him. Matthew was a sin-sick, lost person. And Jesus came and healed his heart. Jesus came and took away his shame. Jesus came and restored Matthew. That's what Jesus has done for us. And aren't you thankful for that? You see, this is Jesus' mission. Jesus is a spiritual doctor healing spiritually wounded and sick people. And that means that he came for you and he came for me and he didn't come to judge. He didn't come to pile on rules that we could never attain to. You know who wrote the book of Matthew now? It was this guy, Matthew. He wrote it, his own experience. He was saying, I was sick and God saved me. I was ashamed and God wiped the shame away and restored me. I was a sinner and God called me too back to himself. I was rejected and then I was received again. How many millions have been saved through Matthew's writings of the book of Matthew? You have no idea the impact God might want to make through your life as well. So, maybe we can look at those around us and say, just one more, Lord. Just, just use me to lead one more to you. Just one. As we close today, I want to show you a powerful and impactful scene from a movie. This comes uh, from a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. It's a true story that takes place during World War II. The main character's name is Desmond Doss, a real-life human being who actually lived. He's a medic who refuses to carry a weapon because of his spiritual beliefs. And his battalion is pretty much left for dead up on a ridge. Everyone else retreats except this one medic. He stays behind through the night and I want you to check it out and see what he did. One more. Just one more. This man saved from some counts, from his count, 75 people. From actual counts, some say many more. That one night in the dark, he had no weapon. He just had a determination and a love for his fellow soldiers. And what's not shown in this movie but was actually true is that his, one of his arms was actually broken from a, a war injury that took place that night. So he did it with one good arm and two good legs. Also, this man was not the Incredible Hulk. He was a small physically statured person. He was only about five foot four and maybe he weighed over a little 100 pounds. But he carried men much larger than him as, as if he were Samson. He pulled one man at a time to safety over the course of the night time hours, some eight hours. It was hard. It was inconvenient. It was taxing. He was facing enemy fire. I even read some of the accounts of where one of the Japanese enemy saw him several times and had him in his sights. And every time he pulled the trigger, the gun would jam. 
See, the weapons may be pointed out to you, but God could jam the, the guns. He could make the weapons to be fruitless before you. As we just sang about the weapons of our warfare, you know. God's, I, 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 God's going to fight the battles for us. I'm going to see a victory. Desmond just kept calling on the Lord and asking one more. Just let, me just, let me just get one more. I'm going to think of the countless lives, countless lives that he impacted, those 75 to 100 people or more. These men, all of them were able to go home, be with their wives, get married, had children, had grandchildren. And all these children and grandchildren and all the relatives and the moms and the dads and all those that knew the story have all made an impact in our world. These people, these children, these grandchildren would not have existed if not for the courage and the care of this one man that fateful night. I find it significant that the first person that he saved in this movie clip thought that he had been blinded. Then Desmond poured some water over his eyes and he wiped them. And the man exclaimed, I can see. It reminds me of the blind man that Jesus healed. And questioned by the Pharisees in John chapter 9, verse 25, these Pharisees were questioning this man who had been healed and trying to, they were trying to pin this man to the corner and try to call Jesus a sinner. And his response was, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's what God's calling us to do, is to go and cleanse the eyes of the people that are walking in blindness with the blood of Jesus. Who do you know today that is trapped in the blindness of their sins? Who do you know today that is wounded on the battlefield of life, who is hopeless and dying and feels like that there's no rescue and that they're done for? You and I have been called by God and made for a mission. What if every one of us simply had an attitude of one more? Just, just one more, Lord. Just, just one more. If we all had this heartbeat, one more, Lord. One more, Lord. Heartbeat of one more, Lord. If we all had that heartbeat and we did something about it this week, this church would double in a week. We'd have to pull out chairs and lives would be impacted for all of eternity. Just one more. Church, listen to me. Don't let Satan kill them. Tap into the strength of the Lord and get off of the sidelines. Get off of the box. Get off of your chair. Stop acting like it's not there. Stop avoiding it. Stop even considering it. And today, let's stand on mission for Jesus Christ. One more. Just one more, Lord. It's a battle to fight. There's a war to win. There are souls that need saving. We're all made for mission, church. We're all called to this mission. If we would just change our perspective on things and allow Jesus to transform the use of our resources, to transform how we see our relationships, to transform how we respond to that ridicule that's sure to come. And then we pray just one more, Lord, just one more. How powerful and how impactful your life would be for God's glory. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, today, forgive us for ignoring and acting as if this doesn't even exist, this mission. Forgive us for avoiding it, walking around it, thinking it's somebody else's responsibility. Forgive us even for considering it, but then just kind of walking away from it after a while. Lord, help us today to realize that we're made for mission, and that mission is souls for your kingdom. Father, transform the way that we see our resources and may it be used for your glory. Transform the way that we see our relationships and let it be that we see people through your eyes of compassion and we see their heart that is hurting and broken and they need rescue. There's people that are ashamed. There's people that are bound. There's people on the battlefield of life that are bloodied and beaten and bruised and left for dead. But Lord, we will not allow that to happen. Help us, Father God, to be like Desmond Doss. And out of inconveniences, 
out of so much opposition, danger, weariness, and tired, and injury even to our lives. To go and say, just one more, Lord. Just, just one more. Help me, Lord, just, just one more that we would make a difference for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to step up from our seat and to follow you in your mission for souls for your kingdom. We would plant that we would water and may you bring the increase. Thank you, Lord, for these things. If the Lord is stirring your heart today and you want to spend some time at the altar here, we got some folks here that would love to pray with you if you have a need for anything. But I would just say too, maybe as an invitation, if the Lord is stirring your heart today and you have that cry, yeah, one more, Lord. I just want to invite you to come on up to the altar here and let's just pray together and just make a public profession before the Lord and before your brothers and sisters here today to say, Lord, I'm going to step up out of my, off of my seat I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to even consider it. I'm going to do it today. If that's you today, and the Lord is stirring in your heart, why don't you be the first one to step up? And when you do, it's going to open up a floodgate. Jesus! And if you're at home watching this as well, I encourage you to step up from your couch, your chair, wherever it is that you're seated right now, and just move to another part of your room, another part of where you're viewing this have an outward expression of what God's doing in your heart to say, I'm moving out of where I'm seated and I'm going to follow Jesus. Now this starts with a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you even have a relationship with Jesus? If you do, great. If you don't, let's talk about that. Let's pray. And let's ask the Lord uh, to come into your heart. He's inviting you, follow me. It starts with a relationship. If that's you today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray with you. In fact, I want us to just all pray this prayer together out loud. Would you just pray this right now? If you want a relationship with Jesus, just say, Jesus, I thank you for taking my shame, my hurt, my rejection, all the stuff of my past. I lay it at your feet. Won't you forgive me? I thank you that you don't judge me, you're not condemning me, but you love me and you receive me now. I open up my heart and ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and be the Lord of my life. Now, Lord, I pray that out of this relationship that we're established right now for those that have just received you, and as they've accepted the invitation to follow you, that we would all, Lord Jesus, follow you in what that mission is. It's not to make a living, but it's to make a difference. It's not to acquire things on this earth, but it's to steward them well for your eternal purposes. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Transform the way we see our resources. Transform the way that we see our relationships. And transform the way that we respond to ridicule. And help us, Father God, to walk in accordance to what you called us to do and just one more just one more soul this week just one more father if we can replicate you in one person this week if we can lead one person to you this week pushing aside the fear pushing aside the ridicule pushing aside the insecurities pushing aside the uh, the fact that we've, that we've convinced ourselves to think that we're not qualified and we can't do it that's all lies from the enemy Father, that you would just, as we open up our mouths, that you speak through us and let the words of life come out from us that would draw people. Father, we're going to get up, we're going to go out of the battlefield, and we're going to carry them, we're going to drag them, whatever we got to do, we're going to lift them to safety and let them be healed and whole in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for these things. Father, for those of us that are here at the altar, you see our hearts, you know our commitment to you, we're standing before you, we're kneeling before you, we're saying, okay, here I am, Lord send me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. One more, one more, one more, one more, one more for you is our prayer.
we pray this, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. And everybody said amen. And whether you come up front or not, I know that the Lord is stirring in your heart something. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get up tomorrow morning and don't get up as a routine and say, good Lord, this morning. Instead, get up and say, good morning, Lord, and anticipate what his mission is for you tomorrow. Change some things up. Don't do the same thing that you've been doing. Change it up. Get up, spend some time with the Lord, and be focused on saying, all right, Lord, what are my assignments today? My resources, my relationships, the ridicule that would come. I'm going to make a difference today. I'm going to make a difference. I'm on mission. I'm on your mission starting today. I'll, I'll give you until the rest of the Get up tomorrow morning, okay? If you want to go do something today with the Super Bowl stuff, hey, go for it. But do it. Do it for the Lord, all right? One soul. If everybody brought someone to church next day, say, guess what? I led, these people, I led this guy to the Lord. It be, Matthew, like the tax, be like Matthew, the tax collector. Invite people to come meet Jesus, and let's come together. And if we have to put out chairs, we'll do it. I'm okay with that. You'll help me, won't you, Jason? All right. We'll get some chairs put out. We got some in the back. We're ready to pop them out. Invite a friend. Well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. You got a phone. You got an extra seat in your car. You know people. Get up a few minutes early. Lose a little bit of that beauty sleep. It'll be all right. You guys are gorgeous. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of... I can give you some excuses too, but how about just invite someone to church? Go pick them up. You've got an extra seat in your car. I know you do. You've got an extra seat in your car. I know you do. Put them there. Bribe them with a hamburger after church. I mean, whatever you got to do, bring them to church. They will meet Jesus here. Amen? I can't, you know what? That's a good plan, Pastor. I'm going to do that. All right? Find someone and encourage them in the Lord. And I don't care what team you're rooting for tonight. Someone's going to win. God bless you. Have a good time tonight. We'll see you next Sunday as we continue with our missions emphasis, okay? You're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us next week as we continue to learn from God's Word and apply it to our lives.